And then we press record. Cool. Is it picking up? Yeah, it's picking up. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what you want to get? I'll probably just get the big pizza. I mean, I always say that I did that so that I can take leftovers, but... You never take leftovers? I never take leftovers, because <laughs> it's just so good. And then the cavatelli is really good, but it's more expensive and there's just less food, so... It's good food, though. It is good food. I just care a lot more about... For some reason, I still always care about, like, calories per dollar, even when I'm at a really nice restaurants. I'm the same way. <laughs> I don't get it. my mom's influence. Yeah, and in the same way where it's like, if you don't at the grocery store, it's kind of like trying to save five bucks on Coke, right? <laughs> That's true. You're not going to get anything? I'm thinking about it. I think I might get the garlic bread. Because I'm sure you'll have some with me. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, if you get a pizza, it just means that I won't finish the pizza, which is probably better for me. food in the fridge at home anyway. Oh, or I could do the chef's board. That was really good last time. Yeah. Why can't I even see it? Oh, it's the... <laughs> I'm blind. I'm absolutely blind. Wasn't the... I mean... Like the it. truffle bread's really good, but the bread on the chef's board, isn't it like really quite crunchy or dry? I don't remember. Or am I not remembering it? Oh well. That was the night of the election. We've had other things on our mind. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> we were the only one having a good time. <laughs> that was a weird night, that one. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I think I'll just stick with tea. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the first question is, what are we going to name it? The podcast? Yeah, the podcast. I suppose this is where I shine, since you suck at naming. I do suck at naming things, right? But, <laughs> because like some of the names, I mean, because we've talked about this. When was the first time we talked about this, doing potentially a podcast together? Like a Months, year ago. Um, was it a year ago now? It was ages. I think it was like before I went to yeah. my trip. One of the names that I remember from back then was having some sort of catchy title like 52 Weeks Till the Wedding or something where, oh, we, right. where we did a podcast down. weekly until the wedding or something like that. But that's kind of up in the air right now in terms of planning. Yeah, but it's not so much about being exactly 52 Weeks Till the Wedding. It's just, you know, a catchy title so that people are kind of interested in the evolution of our relationship over the course of 52 weeks. And then after the wedding, you could be like 52 Weeks After the Wedding or like... The wedding still has to take place in yeah, between those two things. I'm just, <laughs> all right, I'm thinking about this not from like a realistic perspective, but like a marketing perspective. <laughs> I still want to choose something else. Yeah, I know for sure. But like, and the other thing is that what are we actually going to, are we actually going to use our names during this podcast? Because we could just stay more or less anonymous. No, I think we should use our names. Yeah, but I don't really want people who follow me because of like the Jane audience to find this I guess but I still want to kind of share it with people I suppose so I mean my alt account is Mr. Harvard so we could do kind of like Mr. and Mrs. Harvard almost like Mr. and Mrs. Smith that movie with the, mm, yeah, the it was Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie right I'll just uh, channel my inner Angelina Jolie for this yeah alright Miss Writer what's your suggestions for the title 
I'm drawing a huge blank right now. This is terrible. Yeah, I you're on the spot. Like... Thank you so much. Absolutely. I think one of the interesting things is going to be getting the atmosphere, right? I, mean, I think that that's kind of going to be one of the cool things about making this podcast is that if we do just keep recording these episodes while we're out at a restaurant or something, you know, like you have the background noise, you have, you know, whenever the waiters come over, they're going to talk to us or take their order. Kind of a joke on that, Ben. Like, you know, my super original self is thinking Coke and tea right now. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, at some point, I'm not going to drink Coke every single time we go out. I know, but it is kind of a joke that you do drink Coke when we go out a lot. Only when I'm like really working hard. When I'm when I'm kind of more like in a holding pattern, I always go back to water, but. I mean, like, when I really push, like, 12-hour days or something, it's just caffeine and calories keep me going. So. I don't know. I'd get, like, the, the one thing, I suppose, that we should try and figure out is kind of what sounds best, too. Because, like, the recorder is good, but I'll need to get the audio levels correct. And, you yeah. know, so. Because right now it's left and right, and we could mix it into mono. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I almost am scared to move the recorder, because I could try and, like, demonstrate what it would sound like in different orientations, but it would also probably give people vertigo if they're listening to this with headphones, so. Do you want to publish this episode? I was thinking that we might show it to a few people to get feedback. I think it should be, like, a tester, though. Like yeah, I mean, like, because what we're really trying to do is kind of brainstorm or find a new format, right? So. I kind of like the idea of it being left and right, though, because it feels more like you're in on, at the table. I suppose, yeah. It, like, it does give you a little bit more of a ambient. immersive and ambient and going for atmospheric. And I think that, you know, this episode is, not this episode, but the, this kind of format would be slow enough to really work with kind of a passive listening, something that you do, you know, along the lines of like mukbang or people who play this while they themselves are eating, where if they wore headphones while they were eating this, they could be you know, have company as if there were two other people sitting at the table with them. So you could almost kind of, like, one of the things that we could do is we could set up the audio recorder on the table such that it's broken into thirds, where you and I are sitting at, like, a table where we're, what would it be, how many, 120 degrees apart from each other, and then both 100 degrees away from the mic, so that somebody could set it up where our voices kind of would come from where they would have kind of, like, chairs in their living room or anything like that so that might be an interesting way to do it i suppose i think that'd be a really cool effect i mean one of the things so instead of doing it microphone placement like this we could do that would make it more i mean we switched sides but that would be kind of more what it's like the other thing is that it's going to make it i mean if we set it up like that though that means that the waiter is always going to be loud well not be loud it'll be like approaching from behind the person who's listening right well i mean that's pretty realistic <laughs> true 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 well I mean, and the other thing is that this will kind of like let the waiters know that there is kind of like a recorder on the table right yeah so now that we have sufficiently fucked with people's spatial sense i won't move the recorder <laughs> uh, all right I don't know. I like the idea of naming the podcast after some kind of inside joke about this whatever About like eating out at restaurants or something yeah. like that? I suppose. It doesn't really kind of allude to anything about what we're talking about, but I suppose that's not what not matters purpose. because we're, we could be talking about anything. Like we have our beliefs and opinions and interests and passions right now, but if we keep doing this, then it'll change pretty constantly and we exactly. don't want to kind of have to move off of that. So. 
That's one of the issues you run into a lot with like stories and um, stylized Yeah, I mean, like titles, if you're talking about your you. your writing serials, right? Yeah. It's kind of if one gets popular, you're gonna have to keep writing it, whether or not you like it. Or with me, or, you know, I get popular for a specific game, I'm gonna have to keep playing that game. So I do like the idea of kind of making it nondescript, but yeah. that also maximizes relatability. Mm-hmm. Maximizes relatability. Look at you. I know. It's like I use words for a living or something. Yep. <laughs> well, that also seems like something that I would say when I was talking about like content strategy or something like that. Yeah, that's true. So my four R's of content, remarkable, relatable, repeatable, and romantic. So we've got repeatable because we can just do this whenever we're going out for uh, lunch as well. And then I, I think because one of the things that I've found interesting is when I've been writing blog posts or writing out long thoughts on Twitter or anything like that, just the fact that there is the presence of an audience or like a potential it's future audience. It's changing your voice right now. Well, it's changing the voice and it changes like what we talk about. You know, a lot of these thoughts are just kind of happening out loud where, I mean, some of these thoughts, I don't think we would voice to each other. We would just kind of leave them unsaid, right? So it's just, it's, it's one of the things that I've been contemplating, I guess, is uh, uh, just how context shapes language and communication. So, and I do think that, the, like, you know, it's one of the things, because you've experienced that with writing while you're on Twitch, right? Don't you think that, and I could be wrong here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the writing sessions that you do when you're live on Twitch seem to be more productive than the writing sessions you do when you're not live. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is um, in a social environment like that where you're organizing time and you're deliberately setting aside time to work on something, it's a lot... I don't check, like, Facebook and stuff when I'm on yeah. Twitch, right? It's keeping me away from the usual distractors that would um, eat up still the time that I'm sitting at the computer. And I wonder if that's because... Uh, I wonder if that's because instead of like, you know, st you still have like the diffuse thoughts or the quiet part of your mind that's thinking about other things outside of the conversation, where it's like, if we're having a conversation that's not 100% engaging, then maybe my, like the quiet part of my brain is thinking about Twitter or Twitch or work or business or things like that, whereas now it would be thinking about the audience. And I was talking about this, I don't remember with who, uh, but I was saying that, you know, if I am having a conversation with somebody else or listening to a podcast, uh, I am more engaged in the conversation or I can absorb the information from the podcast better if I'm playing Tetris competitively at the same time. Yeah, you mentioned that last yeah. night. Yeah, so it's like, you know, on a call last night. How are you doing? Uh, are you, what are you going to do? You go first. Uh, I'll do the big pizza. White truffle garlic bread. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I was on a, a call last night with uh, someone and we were just talking, but while we were talking, I was looking outside uh, at the city skyline of our window, right? And with that, I was... Um, you know, like my mind was wandering and like looking at the buildings or looking at the flow of traffic, you know, you just think weird little things. You know, you're not 100% it, but if you're doing something that kind of, I feel, just makes your brain capacity go at 100%, but it's not using or, like, I think the cool thing about Tetris and talking is that Tetris doesn't use any language parts of your brain, but it still occupies your focus enough so that, like, no parts of your, you know, like the parts of your brain that are not being utilized aren't stealing any resources from the language or conversational part of your brain. Well, I think that that what you're talking about, where you have kind of 
I know Tetris might be a weird way of describing this, but essentially like the fidgeting, uh, being occupied by the game. I think that that happens for a lot of people in different ways. Like I've noticed that during conversations with people, especially conversations that are serious, I play with things all the time while I'm thinking. About, it's not distracting from the conversation. It's just I need to have some kind of tactile thing in my hands. If it's a ring, I'm twisting it. If it's a piece of paper, I'm yeah. holding it into a snowflake. Like I just, <laughs> and it has no, no bearing on the conversation, but like not having that would be very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it would also make it really hard for me to talk. I've noticed that as well. Like in therapeutic sessions where I don't have, where I'm just sitting in a chair talking to someone, it's very difficult for me to talk versus if I have something in my hands to distract myself with from whatever it is that's forming the mental barrier. Hmm. I think it actually frees up your thinking a little bit easier in terms of communication. It's one of those things where, you know, when we were talking about like ritual epistemology, you're just kind of figuring out little not rituals, maybe routines is more accurate, but it's kind of, you know, we're figuring things out through experimentation that really help us focus where I don't know any scientific explanation of it. I'm sure that somebody out there would be able to get one, but, you know, it doesn't even matter if we have an explanation for why it works if we know that it does work for us, so. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that, like, I'm, I'm different where if, I, you know, I think that especially if you're in the context of, like, therapy or at least an intimate conversation with another person, uh, you know, I really want to kind of just put 100% of my brain power <laughs> into that conversation. But I think that one of the, you know, one of the blockers to that is that I always kind of get hung up when somebody shares something too interesting. Um you know, language being as linear as it is, you know, one thought follows another, one word after another, one sentence after another. When somebody kind of shares something with me that has kind of like multiple sparks in different areas or, you know, connections or associations, uh, my ability to speak kind of just shuts down because I can't. You would it, really like that Babel essay that I was reading last The Babel essay? Yeah. You should read that like as soon as we get back home. Tell me about it. Basically, he talks about how people... Um, they don't construct entire thoughts before they say them. They construct them one word at a time. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I'm going, like, super high pressure of speech. That's not... That, yeah, like... And, and so when you end up in a situation where your filter is really, really high, you stop. Your filter is really... Oh, okay. Because you, you you actually... You read the... You read I that read out to me. So it, yeah. I don't think it's more of, like, a... It's not a filter problem. Right. So what I, I remember what you were saying, where it's kind of, you know, people's... That, like uh, the pruning and the was it the pruning filter is what the it was battle generator and the prune filter yeah okay so it's nothing to do with filters like i don't i basically don't have a filter no you need to read that essay before okay you I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll read it but what i'm what i'm trying to say is that it's like if i have non-linear thoughts or i'm thinking about two things simultaneously which happens pretty frequently i can't put parallel thoughts into speech which is not parallel it is linear it's chronistic whereas especially like brainstorming diffuse subconscious thinking that is a chronistic it's non-linear it's all over the so, fucking place in so that essay the filter would be the progression from anachronistic thinking to linear is the that filter. doesn't really seem like a filter it, maybe it's the wrong word, but the idea being that you're generating a lot of words and thoughts and basically you're trying yeah. to fit them together and that process of seeing what fits and what doesn't fit is the filter. 
Hmm. It seems like a better word would be like a constructor, whereas a filter would be kind of making a determination on whether it is to be said or if it's good to be said or the context is fitting. Hmm. I'll, I'll read it, but <laughs> fil filter doesn't seem like the right word. <clears throat> okay, so we were talking about the four R's and yes. this pie have so. Uh, repeatability. repeatability we have relatability. relatability I think that over time certainly people would you know, start to relate to us or is it the conversations themes episode after episode it'd be a slow burn it'd be kind of like one of those things it's like an acquired taste right no I think some episodes will resonate with people more than others and it'll spark curiosity which leads to more listens that kind of thing and regardless though I think that because our conversations are gonna be a little bit of low energy or at least kind of just a conversational hum you know, we could serve the purpose for other people that, like, Tetris serves for me when I'm listening to a podcast or fidgeting mm. serves where it's almost like listening to kind of low-volume music instead of music. It's just kind of the sounds of our voices and music in the background. So, you know, it's not just, like, relatability with us, but it could also just be kind of the relatability to just having people around you and that parasocial connection as well. I think it lowers your guards. Lowers your guards. What do you mean? I think that like having these sort of background things where like, it helps you feel more comfortable it, and it distracts the parts of your mind. Because Okay, if you, if you were to meet someone cold and try and have an intimate conversation, obviously there's going to be all kinds of things stopping you from having that conversation in a comfortable way. Yeah, that's true. There's going to be a lot of like pretense that you set up to try and figure out if the person is safe to talk to, if this conversation is going to make them uncomfortable, if how far you're willing to go, all those things. But if you're distracting part of your brain with something else, like listening to a podcast or occupying your hands or playing a game, it lets those other, th it lowers your guards so that like those other thoughts can sneak past. So they're not being protected anymore. The more I think about it, the you know, more I think that this is a therapeutic technique. Well, th this is kind of getting back to, no, not getting back to because it never happened in this conversation, but I was kind of talking about vulnerability and how I thought that, you know, wow, there's so many different thoughts here. Kind of like one of the things I was talking about where I'm jumping, it's not all at once, but thoughts were like very fragmented there. So I, I think that the kind of conversation that happens in therapy is good, but it should happen more often in context outside of therapy because to actually make progress as a person and kind of who you are and grow and, or heal or whatever it is you're doing at that time like the one hour sessions with a therapist every like week or every two weeks is not, not enough. enough I mean like there's a lot of times where but you, know, you need to lower perceived risk uh, I think the reason people don't own up to, uh, like have these conversations with other people as is, easily is, is yes, because yeah, of perceived risk yes so I mean and yeah absolutely and I think that one of the things is that uh, you know engaging in those conversations outside of a therapy session makes you vulnerable and people who are environments where vulnerability is taken advantage of you know that's you very quickly learn not to do that or other people when you kind of make them vulnerable if they're using coping mechanisms escape mechanisms or things to distract themselves you kind of talking like that reminds them of their own vulnerabilities and it kind of breaks the fantasy or the delusion that they have for themselves so I also think we're in kind of a unique position uh, in terms of like, you know, what I see on like Twitter and YouTube and stuff like that, where you can kind of create dual vulnerabilities, where you have one that is specifically designed to connect with people kind of on a surface level about shared insecurities and one that's your actual feeling. Mm 
Yeah. You know, you're projecting. Oh yeah, like abstractions. Yeah. And you're abstracting a real feeling into something that can be felt by many, but doesn't actually produce anything. This is kind of like what I was talking about, how people with high anxiety apologize. Uh, yeah. So it's like, where somebody says something, they overthink whether or not they should have said it, and then they apologize, and they're telling themselves that they're apologizing in order to have the person tell them whether or not what they said or did was good or bad. But social etiquette dictates that they always say that, like, oh, no, no problem, sort of thing when somebody apologizes. You don't actually be like, damn it, like, so it's you should have apologized. Filter. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, oh, you can kind of, like, quiet that anxious voice because it's like, oh, they said it was fine, everything was fine. But, you know, it's like what you're actually seeking for is that, like, pseudo-validation that, you know, you were okay to do that in the social setting. You've kind of put up a test that will never come back positive because of social etiquette. Um, so a person is not actually apologizing, right? Their, their kind of abstracted goal is that they want to see whether or not what they said was right or wrong, but th like they know that it's not an accurate test of what they said was right or wrong. It's not actually going to give them reliable information, whether or not they are consciously or unconsciously aware of it. The real reason is just, again, to free themselves from the concern that what they said was wrong Know, validate that feeling and then just basically just put a <laughs> put a band-aid over it and just kind of like move on just like it is cope to apologize like that you're you know, you know. but oh. the problem being that that is a circle you'll never free yourself yeah and, and that you urge. get into that habit because you're never going to actually figure out what is uh, proper to say in a social setting so you're always going to apologize just to kind of get that little comfort each and every single time and it very quickly becomes kind of a trap and i think this happens to people who apologize compulsively. I think that a lot of that that I see is anxiety driven. And I think that there's- I feel very called out right now. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> but like what I'm trying to figure out is that like I've got that dynamic in my head pretty well understood because I've like eaten at that bit for a while. But I'm trying to understand what the abstraction is for people who are overly trusting or other people or want to be trusted and trust other people and make themselves vulnerable um, and I think that you know one of the things is that you know when I'm like when I or another person kind of shows myself to be trusting and makes myself vulnerable by being uh, you know authentic genuine sincere probably oversharing skipping small talk or social graces or anything like that what I'm looking for the abstraction of that is that I'm looking for reciprocity and that I want that person to trust and be vulnerable to me. But what I'm actually trying to accomplish beyond that, I don't quite know for sure. So I think that there is kind of this... You don't think it's a similar situation where you're looking for that line for someone to show you to push back against well, it? Well, see, I, I'm pretty sure that a person who is making themselves vulnerable isn't doing it as a cope. Other than maybe, well, hmm, mm hmm. See, I don't know. So it's like, what is the reason, like, you and I, by making this podcast and sharing it publicly, or at least semi-publicly, um, we are making ourselves vulnerable, right? Because we're inviting people into a pretty private space. People are voyeurs at this point. You know, they'll be pretty self-conscious about listening in on this conversation. Um, but it's like, you know, we are vulnerable. We're opening up. We're having these kind of more private and intimate thoughts, and, and people have the ability to hear them without reciprocating or really having any active involvement in it so it's kind of like why are we doing that a and why are we okay with doing that because i don't think that you or i are actually uncomfortable if this episode went viral no. if anything it would probably be like you know more people see it 
will actually attract the kind of people who are interested in listening to this, who which hopefully in the future become people who we can actually talk to. That's what I think it is. I think it's a weird trade-off where it's like you sacrifice intimacy in hopes of finding someone like you. Yeah. And I think I'm finding that with like my businesses and that a lot of my kind of job description postings and like hirings have been trying to search for people who I want to work with and want to work with on aligned goals. So maybe it is kind of like a trade-off where we think that you know, it's hard enough to find people who think like we do, um, that it's kind of worth making ourselves vulnerable, especially if the cost of suffering or enduring an attack, uh, which I think that you and I are pretty good at, just like if somebody kind of went at us for anything in this conversation or anything, it'd be like, all right, and then we'd just like ignore them, right? But, you know, if we did kind of, if somebody in this conversation did kind of find it to be what they're looking for or something they might reach out so That'd be I, worth it. maybe it is kind of maybe that's the reason why we're sharing is because we are trying to find like-minded people who can have kind of more of these metaphysical conversations but but it is not about trust no no I'm just saying so like the act of unilaterally and proactively trusting somebody uh, the abstracted goal but I, I would like, challenge you to find an example where someone is putting out that trust so blindly because when I think of people I've I met one last week he was the guy I was telling you that I had lunch with and I, I think I, it's a trust like I, I think I think that one of the one of the abstractions of trust that I've kind of noticed is that people will kind of like open themselves up uh, to yeah. become vulnerable because they want to do kind of like this lost puppy routine yeah where like they want to be helped or they want to be guided what to do and I've seen this like even uh, in like the pro leagues where I had kind of one person who was like you know really dejected and always kind of like beat up on themselves and made themselves really vulnerable and always like self-critiqued publicly and openly and dramatically and it's because like you're looking for people to tell like you they, it's not that yeah way. they wanted them to say that like either like you know you're doing it right or like actually teach them and help them and show them what was right uh, and those people and it works to some degree if you to make some yourself degree, but a profoundly lot of those, lost people will be inclined to help you because they will get a benefit out of it you know, exactly they, they get, it's they for get, their own reasons <laughs> like you, you give you kind of attract the kind of people who will help you out of their own selfish interest and I think that it does work but the problem is that it doesn't actually you know it's the sort of thing where again you fall into that trap where you're going to need it every single time thank you Oh, I saw the so I saw the microphone peeking when you set the, the, <laughs> the stuff down, so he probably blew people's eardrums out. But sorry, sorry. Um, but what was I saying? So it's like it's the same sort of thing with the apology. Where if you do that, right? If you're constantly trying to learn and be accepted by making yourself vulnerable, where people help you, not you're out of for the benefit the exact of you, kind of person that will hurt you, and you're going to become reliant or dependent on that, or and, jaded, or jaded, and you're not going to be learning any kind of critical thinking, synthetic thinking, anything of that variety. So, um, it's another trap. You know? Yeah, it is. And I think it's a very pervasive one. It is, and, I, and like I see these kind of traps in, like all over. And I, you know, it, it, when I meet a new upsetting. person, I always kind of like, yeah. You know. Every time I meet a new person and have an in-depth conversation with them, I kind of, everybody has one of these traps. I think they're really common. Yeah, and I always wonder what my trap is, right? I don't know. I think yours is maybe more of like a narcissistic bent. 
Is it? We think so? I think I'm not saying you're narcissistic. I just think that you're if you had a trap or I think you do maybe. Uh, it would be leaning towards those qualities. Hmm. Very possible. Like I mean, for example, um you know, people who see themselves in the role of like a hero are very unlikely to recognize it, right? Oh, thank you. You're <laughs> Sorry. Or I shouldn't say they're unlikely. I shouldn't say they're unlikely to recognize it. It's more like they're unlikely to let go of it because it's it's validating, but it also feels like you're helping other people and you're rescuing them from their own hubris, regardless of how true that is. <laughs> Fair enough. And I feel like you get put in that position by default by a lot of other people. People no. are looking to you to rescue them. I mean, I could definitely argue I was in that position for a time. So. And it's very flattering. That's that's a dangerous trap. That's hard to escape. It's like that's a honey trap. Yeah. <laughs> Being set by the victim. It's the strangest situation. You know, and it's like when I think back into my history, like I've always been kind of really good at community building and just being and being able to like control people through kind of group psychology, whether it was the youth program in Canada or uh, like university or things like that. When I think of the youth program like, I in definitely Canada, think that though, there is... I think it was less finesse. Well, I mean, and that makes sense. You were, yeah. like, 16. Yeah. Maybe it's narcissism or control or... Well, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's hard. Like, it's a blind spot, right? Can't see your own blind spot. Can't see your own shadow. And these are also very human qualities. If someone came to me and, like, really badly wanted me to be a mentor to them, it would be very hard for me to refuse that offer. And Especially not, if you respected them, right? So, because it, it, it's it's a very gratifying feeling, and it um, and you also most likely feel like yes, I can help this person, and I would like to see them grow, and I want to give them all of the opportunities. It's not we're not really well suited to dealing with that situation, and I feel like a lot of content creators who start making it big get thrown into that situation repeatedly. Yeah. Ah, uh, they didn't give me any chili flakes. Damn. Come back around. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. It's kind of funny because I'm in the position where I'm trying to let people, or get people to let me coach them. Yeah. And then when I do, it's usually a very positive experience and there's a lot of like, there's a mutual relationship being built there. Yeah. But it's not like people are coming to me and doing Lost Puppy. Yeah. I just see it I mean, happening I mean, you to don't, others. You don't have a status of elevated authority yet. No. No, I don't. Or did I say that backward? Authority of elevated status. I don't remember. Oh, there you go. Um, one of those. But, anyway, you know, but. the other thing is that, like, when I'm coaching somebody, there's somebody, a lot, like, a lot of people who come to me for very simple things, like, they just want to learn basic, like, they want to learn factual knowledge, and I want to teach procedural knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a difference there. And also, I guess I am at the point where I can be selective enough where I want to coach people into doing meaningful things and accomplishing things that align with my own goals, right? So I think I'm beyond the point where the satisfaction is enough just from helping a person, where, yeah. I think also you would be very rewarded by an experience with someone who wanted to be your student but who is aware of all these things. Well, and choosing for what will be their best interest, like making sure that your interests are not. You're talking about like an theirs. apprentice relationship. 
rather than like a mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah, someone who sees the value in working with you but doesn't allow their identity to be completely absorbed by you. I would have to think on that. I've never considered it. I don't think that that person will come along very easily. Nope. Yeah, I don't know. That would, I would have to think on that. But, so, we've got repeatable. We've got relatable. Romantic. Well, well, romantic? We could skip to number four. Let's do it. I mean, no you order. and I are a couple. <laughs> we are a romantic relationship. Are we a romantic relationship? <laughs> How would you do that? I like to think we're romantic. <laughs> wow, I'm starting to question things now. <laughs> no, I think I think we are. Goodness, just... I just learned something about ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant to say. Sure, sure. I was just making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Mr. I don't celebrate Christmas over here. Not for any legitimate reason, just I don't like it. I don't like taking days <laughs> off. <laughs> but outside of the romantic relationship between the two of us. Because I'm sure there's people who would like ship or stan or anything like that. But outside of people who care about social relationships, the things that we talk about, what would be the way of romanticizing the content? Or, I mean... Technically, the four R's about making popular content. Mm -hmm. And, you know, romanticization is about kind of like the, the way that you talk about why romanticizing content is important is because you want to make things a little bit better than they actually are. Mm -hmm. You want to make the, the fantasy world a little bit romantic other than kind of the, the gray of the real world. You know, the... I honestly think that those conversations that I, we have all the time or that I have with other people where it's like... I would make the world run better. That's a type of romanticism. It just tends to end in nihilism. Yeah. It's like, this is how I, the world could be better, but it's not like that, so everything sucks. I think that in that case, like, you know, we wouldn't want, because romanticism is like a perversion of the truth when you're talking about, like, yeah. you're romanticizing the content, uh, a romanticized version of reality, where I think that if we are going to kind of. We'd be careful with it. Yeah, I don't think we would want to achieve that as a goal, where, where maybe. We need to watch out for it. Yeah, really, certainly. Bell. And like, have to <laughs> make sure we don't drink our own Kool-Aid or if <laughs> something becomes popular that we don't kind of talk about it or agree with it just because it's popular. So, oh. and, You know, I do actually legitimately worry about that tendency in myself. Oh, it's, it's yeah. I've noticed I mean, that like, I'm very forced to... Um, just being aware of cognitive biases doesn't free you from them. No, it just, it just creates frustration. <laughs> Now that I know why my boot sticks in the mud, doesn't change the fact that my boot sticking in the mud is driving me crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then remarkable is the last R. Technically, it's the first one. Oh, we uh, we jumped around there. We did, yeah. We? I mean, I guess the order is kind of arbitrary since I made it up in the first place, but. I mean, I guess the remarkable part I mean, is more for our experience than anyone else's. So, this is kind of a neat like, idea. Like, remarkable... Yeah, so, like, I think that the format itself is unique, and that makes it remarkable, but when you're talking about the spirit of the word remarkable as it applies to the four hours of content, it's more along the lines of, like, you want somebody to remark about it to somebody else, and it's kind of like achieving advocate status and grassroots Which popularity. Which is why I would like to continue discussing fairly 
complex things because I think that's the remarkability of it. Yeah, because I think that like that would that could be definitely the way that we want this to spread is no advertising other than kind of like word of mouth stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas, because like if we find one person who's interested in listening to it, the likelihood that that person knows another person who is interested in this stuff, or if people are talking, slow but exponential. Yeah. Kind of how Worm got big, right? Yep. So, right, with people just running across it and friends. Yeah, so maybe we just. Yeah. No, I, I guess that kind of. It's weird, but it's like, I, I think that there's definitely a little bit of a magic to the formula, and I definitely think that, you know. I think the... it would be neat, too, to, like, if we got feedback from these sessions about the things that people want to see discussed more often. Like, what are the conversations that they wish they could be having? Would we. Would we want that to happen? I was thinking that Not it'd be all better. The time, I mean, because you and I, we talk about everything. My concept for what the average person talks about has gone out the window. Oh yeah, but like we're never going to lack for anything to talk about, right? No. So we might send ourselves on like research streams in the middle of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, I think at some point once the pandemic eases up, we could definitely have like guests join us for a lunch or a dinner or something. That would be so much fun. That would be kind of cool, but yeah. You know, and just like you can play that ask whole game. I play, yeah. I love that game. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I think this is something that could change into something, right? And we can iterate on the formula, and Mm -hmm. I think as long as. Like the audio quality, I'll have to play with a little bit. You know, whether it's like a compressor or a limiter, or where are we going to place it? What levels are best? Do I have to do any audio treatment afterwards or anything like that? But well, I'm sure we'll have to do a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure, but that's easy enough. Yeah. Yep. I have everything set up on my computer to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, shall we turn it off and send it to the beta testers? Sure. Although I feel like this will be like the least structured episode ever of anything. I mean, that's kind of the point, <laughs> right? Fuck structures. Apparently. I mean, the let like you know uh, what the saying about how you doing, bud? Good to see you. I mean, the less structured something is, uh, more the more it, we can like. Well, the more we can iterate and evolve without. It's like, what's the what's the saying like? Uh, plans are useless. Planning's invaluable. Yeah. Where. You know, we've talked about it before, but um, we can just let things evolve as naturally as possible without trying to force it into something. I think that something that naturally kind of evolves or is created in very piecemeal from very basic, humble origins is what can really, truly become something interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen that in my own content. The stuff that I more rigorously or strictly design is always worse than the kind of content ideas that emerge naturally. Doesn't it drive you crazy? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so. It's like, this should work. Why is it so let's working? just see where this goes. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs>